Whether it's on the basketball court, at the park, or even in your house, Cool Cola has got you covered. Just ask our loyal supporters. That's right. Cool Cola is the best, yo. It, it totally fills me up, and it takes my thirst as far away like a cat running from a room. Well, it's not quite like that, but on today's Bible study podcast, we will look at how Jesus promised to quench our thirst. So hang on, because Bible study podcast starts now. Welcome to this edition of Bible Study Podcast. I'm your host, Justin, and I'm excited to be here with you tonight as we continue to study the Gospel of John. I hope your week's gone fine so far, and I know you're probably like me and looking forward to the weekend, so let's try to start your weekend off right with a study in God's revealed Word, the Bible. For those of you who are new to the podcast, each week we kind of go through a passage from the Gospel of John, and hopefully we'll eventually get all the way through the book before too long, so... uh, For those of you who are returning, I just want to thank you so much for your support, thank you for your prayers, and thank you for taking the time to stay with me as we kind of venture through this marvelous work, this gospel according to John. Uh, If you want to get in touch with me, feel free to drop me an email at BibleStudyPodcastJustin at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing your thoughts, your comments, your questions, or, or anything else you might like to send me or like to let me know, so... Feel free to fill up that email box and give me something other than spam mail to look at every once in a while. Also, I want to thank those of you who sent me such kind words and such kind thoughts in regards to the passing of my wife's grandfather. I know she's very appreciative, and and I wanted to just say thanks. And uh, It's been somewhat of a stressful week for me. Uh, I'm now in school full blast, and many of you know how that goes, to work full-time and be in school full-time, but... I've also picked up an internship at a church to kind of serve as an assistant to the evangelism and outreach ministries of of a new church. So uh, please continue to pray for me, and and I'll be praying for you as well. And uh, with that said, let's open our time tonight with a word of prayer. Our gracious Father, we thank you for the love that you have given to us and the life that makes us whole. Help us to remember that when we're thirsty, we can always come to you. For Jesus, you are the giver of life. And bless us with your presence tonight and help us to navigate through your word in spirit and in power. It's in the name that is above all names, Jesus Christ, in which we pray. Amen. Now as we begin today in uh, John chapter 7, verse 37, I want to remind you of the setting and kind of give you a little bit of the background for what's about to come. You know, first I want to remind you that we're still at the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, whichever you prefer to call it. And As you may remember, this was when the Jewish people celebrated God delivering the children of Israel from Egypt and taking them through the desert to reach the Promised Land. Now to see the pure impact of the events we're about to dive into, I want you to realize the scope of this event, scope of this festival. As part of the celebration, anyone who lived within 20 miles of Jerusalem was required to leave their home and live in a booth in celebration. Now, as a result, many, along with thousands of visitors, simply moved into the city for eight days, making Jerusalem literally overflow with people. 
Now, with all these people, it naturally became a time of parties, time of reunions. You know, it was a time when families could see each other, when probably celebrators could celebrate a little bit more than they're used to, and, you know, it was a wild time. But, but don't be fooled. While there were probably some killer parties, this was definitely a solemn holiday, and, and as a result, the entertainment kind of alternated with this very serious processions where the priests would go through these rituals and many rituals of remembrance of their past. Now, as part of the celebration, as part of these ritual tasks, the people would often be found singing psalms, commonly the psalms found between Psalm 113 and Psalm 18, 118. And as they waited for God to reign over Jerusalem once more, they would sing. And every day the priest would go as he made the sacrifice to the pool of Siloam. And he would dip a goblet into the water and take that water back to the altar where he would pour it for all the people to see in a silver basin that goes alongside the altar down to the base. Then the people would often sing, quoting Isaiah 12, verse 3, With joy shall you draw water out of the well of salvation. And this would be followed by the people waving branches of various plants around in celebration. This was the scene with constant partying and then solemn processions. And this went on every day. Every day but the last, the eighth and final day of the festival. Now this day was the Sabbath. And so it was to be a day of rest. So on the last day of the festival, there would be no water poured out. There would be no branch waving. And this is exactly where we pick up today. If you'll turn with me to John 7, verse 37, the verse tells us that on this, the last day, the greatest day of the feast according to John, in the midst of all these people, in the calm before the storm that was about to occur, as thousands of people would be pouring out of the city to make their way home, Jesus stood up. Now, for those of you who have been listening for some time now, you know that I absolutely love this picture. I love the imagery going on here. You know, Here we are in the middle of this vast city, great number of peoples, filled to the brim with people who are reverently observing the Sabbath. The city's probably quiet. It's probably the calmest it's been all week as you know, the many partiers are now taking their day of rest. Those who are here seriously are observing the Sabbath as they should be. And, and in the midst of this quiet, reserved calmness, in the midst of this packed city, Jesus emerges and stands among them. And he cries out, the Bible says. He cries if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. Now, from the multitudes and crowds, Jesus rises. And despite the fact that he knows the Jews are after him, we talked about this last week, he knows the Jews are wanting him. And yet he stands and he tells the crowd, You've been watching for seven days as these priests have been pouring this symbolic water over the altar. You've seen them quote the passages as they pour that water, that call for the waters which lead to salvation. Guess what, guys? I'm the one you're looking for. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and I will let him drink. In fact, whoever believes in me, as the scripture says, he will have rivers of living water flowing from his heart, his innermost being. Wow, what a statement to make.
Now let's break this down a bit to see what Jesus is saying. But imagine the impact. Imagine the quiet, the calm, the crowds of people. And in the midst of this, bang, here it comes. Let's see what it is he said. First of all, he begins with the call that if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me. Now this is significant. The call is not just to certain people. It's not just to a certain group. Jesus says, if anyone is thirsty, if anyone desires this salvation, let him come to me. You see, friends, the call is universal. You don't have to be a member of this group. You don't have to be a member of that church. You don't have to be a part of a certain family. You don't have to be in a certain bloodline. You need only to desire salvation because the call is to all who would be thirsty. Now further, this issue of thirsty is very important to us. Jesus calls to those who are thirsty, or as we have said, those who desire salvation. Why is this important? Because it shows us that we must realize we have a need before we'll truly come to Him. If someone is fully saturated, if they have no need of a drink, they're not going to ask someone for a cup of water. No, it's the dehydrated, it's the dry, it's the famished ones who need water. And in the same way, it's not the person who thinks he's alright. It's not the one who believes she can make it on her own that comes to Christ for salvation. It's the one who sees that he's a sinner and is in desperate need of a Savior. You're not forced to be a Christian. It's the one who sees that he's a sinner. You see, this proclamation echoes back to John chapter 4 where Jesus told the Samaritan woman, that if she knew the gift of God and knew who Jesus was, that she would ask him and he would give her living water. You see, it's only when one realizes his sin that he turns to his Savior. It's only when he realizes that he is destined for hell because the wages of his sin, the penalty of his trespasses, is death and ultimately a separation from God in a place of turmoil and suffering called hell that he sees how much he needs Christ. Friend, is that you? Are you that person who realizes now that you're a sinner? You have wronged God by acting against His nature. And as a just God, He must punish you. Is that you? If it is, stay with me as, as Jesus continues on here. Because you see, after addressing everyone and introducing those who are thirsty, Christ gives the method by which we may gain that water. He tells us, Come to me and drink. The method, then, is that we must come to Him. As we progress further in John, we'll later see that Jesus is the way, but this is what He is basically saying here. If you are thirsty, if you see your need and need a Savior, come to Me and drink. In other words, come to Jesus and He will give you salvation. But how can this be? Well, Jesus clarifies what He just said by noting that when you come to Him, that is, whoever believes in Him, Living water will flow from his innermost being. On top of that, he reminds them that this is according to Scripture. So what Jesus basically does is that he tells the people, anyone who realizes they need a Savior, come to me and I'll give you salvation. How will you know it's true? Well, according to your own Scripture, you'll be filled with living water that will flow from your heart, your innermost being. Surely this would have reminded the people of Isaiah 55. And, and I'm going to read you parts from verses 1 through 7 now. It's, read, Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without cost. 
Why do you spend money for what is not bread, and your wages for what does not satisfy? Incline your ear and come to me. Listen that you may live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, according to the faithful mercy shown to David. Because of the Lord your God, even the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. You see, it's by coming to Jesus that you may be saved. It is he and he alone who can give you this living water. Again, this takes us back to John 4, where Jesus said that whoever drinks of the water that he gives will never thirst again. But the water he gives will become a well of water springing up to eternal life. Well, the only question which really remains for us today is that of what are these living waters? Well, John goes on to tell us just that in verse 39. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You see, it is the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, who will come inside of those who believe in Jesus. It is Him that will fill us with this water that flows from our heart and never runs dry. It is He that guarantees that we will have eternal life on the basis of Christ's sacrifice. Thus, we can now see the work of each person of the Trinity in action in the work of salvation. As we have said in that last few weeks, it is the Father who calls all to the Son. He is the one who makes us realize we are thirsty and need a Savior. It's the Son who has done the work of the cross, who has died and, and raised from the dead to pay our pardon, to forgive us of our sins. It is He that we must believe in and put our trust in. And once we believe on Him, it is the Holy Spirit who comes to live in us and to do the work of making us more like Jesus. He is the one who gives us our lifeblood and the one who guides us as we grow in faith. And so the picture is made whole. But there is one last point that I would like to make on this subject, and it is the idea that when the Holy Spirit comes into us, He comes as a flowing river. He is active in our life. He is moving us, pushing us, driving us to be what God has called us to be. I love a quote that's found in the Believer's Bible Commentary, which reads, no one can be indwelt by the Spirit of God and keep that Spirit to himself. Where the Spirit is, he flows forth. If there's no flowing forth, he's not there. And so we see that Jesus has told the people, those of you who are thirsty, those of you who are spiritually speaking thirsty, come to me and I'll give you drink. Then you'll know that I have given you water because the Holy Spirit will live in you, and you'll never go thirsty again. Now, if it is something that you all would like to hear, I'd be glad to go over this idea that the Holy Spirit was not yet given, for Jesus had not been glorified. But you'll have to let me know that. And if that's something you want to do, send me an email, and, and I'll be sure to talk about it on the podcast. But for now, I want to push a little bit further in our text. See, now having heard this proclamation, having heard the gospel in a sense, we see once again a divide in the crowd in verses 40 to 44. So let's go ahead and read it. As it says, Some of the people, therefore, when they heard these words, were saying, This certainly is the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ. 
Still others were saying, Surely the Christ is not going to come from Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the descendants of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? And so a division occurred in the crowd because of him. Some of them wanted to seize him, but no one laid hands on him. Now, of course, the first responses are those which we have seen before in this gospel. Surely Jesus is the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy. Or, man, this guy is the Christ. You know, some of the people begin to get the picture. They really begin to realize that Jesus is the one that was foretold of by the prophets. And then there was that other group. We've also seen them before. The ones who say, but the Messiah is not supposed to come from Galilee. He's supposed to be in Bethlehem, right? And, of course, they would have been right, except that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He just grew up in Galilee. It was simply their ignorance that held them back. But this difference of opinion, as is usually the case, it led to a division among the crowd. And as the tension invariably grew, we see that some even wanted to seize Jesus, but no one laid hands on him. And this is, I believe, because, as we've seen throughout John's Gospel, it wasn't his time yet. And so, as we step back, as we look at the results of the preaching of the Gospel, the good news that Christ has come to bring us salvation. We see that the gospel often does not unite all people. But it does cause division. Now this isn't because of the gospel. It's not because of the message of the cross that people divide. It's because of the people who hear the gospel. But this is something that we who share the gospel must be prepared to handle. Sometimes our message will draw people to the Lord. Sometimes it would just cause stress among those who don't follow Christ, those who reject Him. You see, the same thing happens today that happened then. The gospel of Christ is the most powerful call that anyone can hear. It is only by knowing that Christ came to die so that we may be saved from our sins, and that if we believe in Him, we may have life. It's only that which can change our lives completely. It is only that message that truly gives life. But to those who reject its message, and more importantly to those who reject the one who gave that message, Christ Jesus, it causes strife, causes anger, maybe pain, maybe hurt. It could cause any number of emotions. And it will eventually cause division between men and women. When one believes in the Christ who died for him, he will automatically be separated from the one who thinks that Jesus was just another man. So I want to tell you to take heart. Though you may feel as though you're the most unpopular person, which you're probably not, but though you may feel that way, though it may seem that people at times shun you because you share the gospel, know that you're doing what you've been called to do. And know that though they turn away now, hearing the words that change lives may someday lead them to the Savior they so desperately need. You don't have a clue how much of a seed you plant in people's lives. So stay strong. And if you're one of those who I spoke to earlier, one who's thirsty, I want to just remind you that Jesus is the only way to be truly quenched from your thirst. It's only through Him that you may have true life. So please, don't wait another second. If you see that you're a sinner, and you admit that you have done wrong before a holy God, all you must do is believe in Jesus Christ. Believe that He is who He says He is. Believe that he is the God-man who has come to save 
and that his death and his resurrection has paid the price for your sin and has given you life everlasting. Believe on him and ask him to forgive you for your sins and to send the Holy Spirit to live in you and to begin to change you. Ask this. Ask the Holy Spirit to direct you to become more like Christ, to help you to turn from your sins, to no longer disrespect God, to no longer do what is contrary to Him, but now to obey Him. And then, friend, you too can be truly quenched of your thirst. And if that's the decision you have made today, please drop me an email and let me know. I'd love to rejoice with you. And further, I just want to, I really want to beg you, and I want to beg those of you who aren't even having to make this decision, please get involved in a local church. Please see that it preaches the Bible, that they'll help you to grow in your faith. Get into discipleship programs. Get into Bible studies. Get into whatever you can to help you be more like Jesus. I know we've covered a lot of ground tonight, and we've moved along in our study of John, but I want to ask you to join me next week when we'll see the progress report, so to speak, brought back by the officials that the Pharisees sent out. We'll see what they have to say, but until we meet again, friends, may God bless and keep you. This lesson has been brought to you by BibleStudyPodcast.org, a paraministry of Clean Slate Evangelical Ministries, which is a nonprofit listener-supported ministry based in Monroe, North Carolina. While our desire is that your primary giving be done with your local church, if the Lord is leading you to support our ministry, we do depend on your support to keep our ministry going and growing. If you feel the Lord calling you to support our ministry, you can go to BibleStudyPodcast.org and click on support on the right-hand side. You can make a tax-deductible donation from there. By doing so, you'll be helping us to reach multitudes of people each and every month from around the world who, just like yourself, desire to find answers and meaning in Scripture. We thank you for listening today, and we pray that the Lord blesses you and draws you closer to Him. Keep growing closer to Jesus.